Oh, I'm muted. Sorry, you had to just watch my mouth move there for a few minutes. Uh, well, thank you, uh, Scott and Jordan and Jared for doing that. Thanks for, uh, it was uh, fun to see the Phantom Banjo player. Uh, that was me. I clicked the mute button somehow, so you got a minute of me. Uh, you could use that clip if you want later to add words to me. I'm sure somebody's already working on that. Um, so uh, I, I quick just want to give an update uh, as we continue to, to move through um, uh, this pandemic as a church and uh, new updates are always coming from the state uh, and from organizations that we're working with. And so we just want to kind of give you an update as you're uh, probably wondering and um, so that we're all in it together. Um, uh, oh, I had another. Oh, no, that was it. Okay. So uh, quick, we just want to let you know, as we continue to seek wisdom in this, we have from the beginning, uh, Hope Leadership has been working uh, every day to, to consider what our next steps for our church. Um, and as Christ followers, we, we have a desire to not just make wise decisions, but also be aware of how we're known in our community. We want to be known as people who are wise and courageous and also love people well, and so as a congregation, we have many, many opinions that we hold on this, right? Many perspectives and insights uh, into the timing of what it looks like um, to gather again in person um, or not gather or what that looks like. And so we just ask for continued grace in that and continued prayer. And there's been a lot of great encouragement uh, and help from many of you in that. As a result of the data we're in right now, just as an update for our church, uh, we're right now we've we're, we've decided to continue to adhere to the guidance of leadership in our state, the governor and uh, the Minnesota Department of Health, um, and also the guidance of our denominational leaders at Converge and in the E-Free Church in uh, their guidelines uh, for churches. So we, we consider, uh, we're still meeting, obviously, we're, we're right now we're meeting, um, and we consider you to, uh, to look now as you look to the future, to what it would look like to gather in, in smaller groups. But we're not today, uh, and probably not in the near future here, we're not meeting as a whole church. In fact, our location of Hope doesn't have a place to meet. Um, and the school, the school has not uh, still given us permission to even, to even look at moving back in the building, and we're not sure when that could be. It could be a while. So um, we want to consider, though, have you consider what it looks like to meet in smaller groups? I encourage you to think about what does an outside meeting look like that's still adhering to the state's guidelines of six feet? Um, and so look, look, look at things like bonfires, taking walks together. Um, what does it look like to meet in the backyard with, with a few other people as a way to, uh, to start gathering together, but do that in a safe um, way? Um, at this time, we also may look uh, and be more cautious than other churches. I'm sure uh, many of you have heard there's churches who are meeting soon. Uh, if not right now. Um, and so we're going to look a little more cautious than that. There's local churches around our country and community that are making these tough decisions. Um, and we appreciate and respect them. And we continue to pray for them as they make hard decisions for their local church family. Um, and that we'll be making decisions for our local church family so that we can best love and care for the people in our communities and in our church community. Um, and lastly, just these decisions weren't made or aren't being made uh, out of fear. I think that's something we can feel. I sent out an uh, uh, email this week to, to some of you that reminded you that we're not uh, 
COVID-centered but Christ-centered. And I think fear can bubble up in this time. And uh, we, we uh, seek prayer in that, that we continue to function out of love for our neighbors, for each other, that we continue to function out of a, a great commission kind of mindset of how are we making disciples in this. Uh, and that in the end, God knows what's going to happen and, and what is happening and that we can trust in him. And so, friends, our mission continues to be to make fully devoted followers of Jesus, and we can't stop that if we wanted to. Um, you're not going to stop Jesus. Uh, and also, just a reminder that we don't need to reopen our church. The church is still open. Um, and I am so encouraged by how well many of you are continuing to be the church, loving people well, um, loving Jesus well, leaning into Jesus in a hard time. Um, so I want to encourage you in that. We're just, I just want to take a, a moment to pray for that, our church, our communities, as uh, people are making really hard decisions in a, in a time that, in a place that we haven't had to make decisions in before. So if you join me, please, in praying for that, and we'll continue here in Psalm 73. Lord, uh, you're good. Um, you are wise. And uh, I pray we would enter in uh, to your sanctuary to be with you and that we would trust in you. And then in these times, as fear can begin to control us, I pray that uh, that love would cast that out, that light would cast out darkness, and that you would give great wisdom and great peace um, to churches, to leaders, to, to our government, to the people making these big decisions, and to each one of us in our homes today, that we know um, when we're in you, we can be content or in you, we can have life, and that we would lean into you. We do pray these in Jesus' name. Amen. And uh, also, just there is a longer uh, statement on our website, I believe. If not right now, we'll be very soon. Uh, if you didn't get the email this week, uh, yesterday, that explains some more in detail what this is. But just an update so you know we're, we're moving forward and um, can encourage you to start thinking creatively. What does it look like to be in community with just a few people in their yard or on a walk? Um, so, um, thank you. All right. We're going to move on here. I have this great picture. I've been thrilled to share with you. Maybe I've shared this before. Uh, this is me. Can you believe this? Unreal. I don't know what I'm thinking with this hat. I don't, I don't have, uh, don't have the, uh, details on where this hat came from. <laughs> um, this is me and my brother. Uh, this is me, I think about junior high-ish. Age, looking pretty awesome, uh, standing by a lake by my grandparents' house. Um, I share this because when I was around this age, um, if you can guess from the, maybe the photograph, you probably shouldn't judge a book by its cover, but I uh, was not the coolest kid in school um, or close to it. And I often remember sitting at lunch table with other friends, uh, my friends who were on the math team with me, um, and in my science Olympiad group, Right. And we were talking about nerdy things. And one of the things we would often come up was was how there was these other kids. Right. That were cool and they had girlfriends and they had cool clothes and they had cool bikes. Um, it felt like everything they did was cooler and better. It felt like they were mean to everyone. And we were we were nerds and they were cool kids and which probably wasn't really true. They probably were feeling the same thing, but we felt like there was these other people who weren't great people, but they seemed to get everything. It seemed like they made poor decisions, but 
but reaped great rewards from those. Um, it seemed like um, that whatever we did ended up, even how, no matter how good it was and how, how uh, great our motives were, that we never got rewarded for that. Um, and so I, it was it was tough. And I think you know, how many shows, how many movies, right, have this same play of the, the nerdy kid, lunch table, and the cool kids, and then whatever, they all end up being friends at the end. Um, I, I, I felt that. And I think as growing up, that just continued, right? I remember... Um, uh, uh, feeling, okay, when I become an adult, that's not a thing anymore. And then I become an adult. And as I grow into college and after college, uh, it's, I have that same feeling, right? It feels like there's people making unkind, unhelpful, selfish decisions, and they're benefiting from it. And it seems as I look out over and over, I see around me people who I think are, are not good people, but are getting good things. And then I start believing but I'm a good person. Why don't I get good things? And I start believing this idea that if I just was a good person, I should be getting good things. And if they were bad people, they should get bad things. It seems unfair and it's frustrating uh, and it's defeating and lots of things play into that, right? I feel like envy. I'm feeling envious. I'm feeling jealous. I'm actually angry. This doesn't seem right. Injustice seems to be happening. That's what today's Psalm is about. Um, today's Psalm is about... Uh, in Psalm 73 is about what does it look like to process through that? And uh, and uh, this Psalm, I feel like could have been written every day of the week for the last thousand, two thousand, three thousand years. Um, that That's such a universal feeling. And so I'm excited to get into it and see what is, what is this, um, what do we do with that? That And so we're going to look at Psalm 73. Psalm, Psalm 73 is the beginning of the third book in the Psalms. So the Psalms are broken up to into kind of five different books that sort of follow a um, general theme in the Psalms. So the first one, we looked at the first book of, of the first book in the Psalms, which was Psalm 1. And it kind of opened that book up to how, how good God is and how he's this stream that we can plant our roots by. And we looked at uh, Psalm 42 and 43 last week. Um, remember that? That was the beginning of the second book. And now we're in the beginning of the third book um, of the Psalms. Like it, it starts getting darker starts getting to see this broken world around us and how do we process that. Um, and so I'm excited. This psalm was also written by uh, another person or persons, a group uh, uh, in the psalms. And so this psalm is, is written by someone named Asaph or Asap. Um, and that could either be a group uh, of people, uh, a few people maybe, or they think it actually could just be a person who either uh, was a musician within uh, God's temple Kind of like last week, we looked at the Sons of Korah, who was a group, uh, almost like a family that was writing these this music for worship. And this is, a, they think, probably a person, it could have been a person who actually was interpreting other people's words, or could have been the songwriter kind of for David. It could have been King David's, who's, who, who's the one who wrote Psalm 1, who we attribute a lot of psalms to. Could have been one where he sat down with David, and David and him like wrote it together. But it's attributed to this person um, who is, uh, has written a bunch of the Psalms, and we actually see a bunch in this section uh, written by him. So we're going to look at uh, Asaph's Psalm here and how he's feeling. And I think it's a, a really, uh, it really, he really opens his heart up to how he's feeling and, and how he processes it. So we're going to start here in Psalm 73 and look, look to see um, what, how did he deal with this feeling. So let's start here. Psalm 73, right at the beginning. Surely God is good to Israel and to those who are pure in heart. So he starts out with 
God is good to the people who are pure in heart, who are the people who are faithfully following God, who are faithfully, you know, their hearts are pure, they have pure motives, God's motives. He starts with that little, surely God is good to those, right? I think this almost could end with a question mark because of where he goes. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. So he starts with, surely God is good to his people. My feet almost slipped. I almost lost my foothold. And that's a phrase that's used often in scripture meeting. My foothold, my standing, what I'm standing on, my foundation, I almost lost that. Meaning he almost became, like, turned from God. And so he's introducing us to this is, I almost lost my foothold. Here's what happened. Here's what I was feeling. And that's what we see in verse 3. For I envied the arrogant when I saw prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. Do you hear this? this, If I, uh, you know, could poetically articulate some of those words in seventh, eighth grade, I would have said the same thing, right? They, They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They seem to, there seems to be prosperity among them, the wicked. All right, verse seven. I love verse six, how it just says they clothe themselves with violence. These people do whatever they want, take whatever they want. Seven, from their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? He's describing people who just do whatever the desires of their heart are and ask the question, does God really know anything? Uh, They're asking a question that sounds a lot like we see even in in Genesis 1, right? Where the serpent, uh, Satan, comes to uh, to Eve, and he's saying, does God really know? Does he really know that much? You could know everything. You could be God. And so he's he's articulating here, these people do what they want. They do whatever the cravings of their mind or body or heart is, and then and they're asking, does God really know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, they go on a, amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and I have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been afflicted. Every morning brings new punishments. You see how he feels here? This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. He just says, this is what the the wicked are, are like. They just do whatever they want and they seem to get more and more. And have I not been pure? Have I not been good? And wash my hands of innocence? I've been good, and what have I gotten? And they have been bad, and what do they get? They seem to get everything, and I seem to get nothing. This is one of those questions that comes up when we talk about how can there be suffering and evil in the world, and how can God still be good, which we talked about uh, probably a month ago now. Um, you can check check that sermon out if you want to go, go down that trail a little more. But he's feeling that, right? How can this happen? How can this be? I think... If um, if he if Asaph was alive today, here with us, we would probably see a 
Facebook post right now, right? We'd see a angry, who are these people? What are they thinking? Just a, a classic Facebook tantrum, right? We'd roll out and we'd all read it and say, oh man, that guy's got it. And then there'd be, be comments and comments. We'd all support him or we'd defend him or we'd, we'd, atta we'd attack back. Um, you know, we'd all just get it out. We'd all just say all these things that we'd be uh, frustrated with and the things that are wrong with all these other people, these bad people getting good things, it seems wrong. And I'm a good person. Why am I not getting these things? Right? This is, if the psalm ended right here, we would have just gotten a great rant from Asaph. I think it's really interesting what he says next. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed my children. This is interesting. He, he could just go to, he's, he's going to get to, what does it look like to turn to God in this? How does that change his perspective? But first he says, if I had spoken out like that, in saying, uh, he, he apparently didn't just go and, and complain and grumble around about this thing. He's saying, this is what I felt. This is what was stirring inside of me. This is what I was thinking this is what I, how I was seeing the world around me. And then he says, if I had said that, though, if I had been a person who just continually spoke that, I would have betrayed uh, my children. So what he's saying is I would have taught the next generation that that's how we look at the world, that that's how we perceive the things around us. I would have taught them the worldview of seeing that everyone else is getting things that I'm not. Everyone else seems to be bad and I'm not, or these people doing bad things have no consequences. He's thankful, I think, that he did not speak out and and betray his children in that way. And that's a that's just a little moment to stop for a little application. And how often do I think the way I'm speaking about other people, the way that things are coming out of my mouth and publicly coming out of my mouth is actually teaching a next generation of how to look at the world around me. Let's continue here in, in verse 16. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. That's that's like the key, right? I tried to figure this stuff out. It's, it's as if he had to get it out of his system. It was the initial emotional. These people are wicked and they're getting all they want. These people do whatever they want and they amass wealth. I'm good and pure and I am getting nothing out of this. He's, he's just, he's getting out. He's sitting with a friend, you know, and he's just, Words for the wind, they're coming out. And here it seems like he's sort of gathered his thoughts. He's maybe calmed down. He says, if I try to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. This is where I can feel. I don't get it. I, if I can stop after the initial feelings wash over me, I just don't understand it. But that's not the end of that sentence. Verse 17 continues the sentence. I was, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Until I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their destiny. Something changed for him. He, he felt this around him. It, it doesn't make sense. It troubled him. And then he entered in the sanctuary of God. This sanctuary of God could be Entering the in the temple in the actual presence of God. It could be uh, entering into the people, presence of the people of God who are going to remind him who God is. Um, 
who he is, or could be, he could also be, it probably is also entering into the word of God, actually being reminded of who God is. There's another, another moment in Psalm where, Psalms where we're reminded of how powerful this word of God is. So enter into the actual word of God, the sanctuary of God. Can you feel this? He feels troubled. He feels confused. There seems to almost be chaos and injustice around him. And he enters and he moves into this space. Later, he's going to call this a refuge, right? a stronghold that he can enter into. And once he gets in there, all of a sudden it changes how things work. We're going to go on and see what, what that looks like. Um, uh, in a moment, for, uh, this has been really helpful for me to think about this. It's, it's as if he sees, he focuses on this thing, he gets caught up in this part of the world that he can see, right? As if he's one little puzzle piece. As if he can see this little puzzle piece. I see my doll. Hey. Um, he can see one chunk, right? And in that chunk, at least what he knows about that piece, as he's investigated, looked around at how the edges are contoured, how things work in there, and his experience in that piece, he thinks he knows how things work, and it's frustrating. And maybe as he lives a little more life and gets a little more wisdom and has experienced things, maybe that puzzle piece opens up a little more. And so now he's feeling, okay, I guess I can see a little more wisdom and how things work. I understand, but it's still so frustrating, and it's still laser-focused on this uh, injustice in this place, in this thing, and it and that builds, right? I, I feel that. I feel those things build inside of me. And maybe as he continues to grow, maybe he gets wisdom from some other people and advice that continues to grow. And now he has some other ones, right? Some other puzzle pieces. So, oh, the puzzles, maybe you kind of can see a picture of what is happening all around the puzzle. And then he enters in, right? He's still deeply troubled. I kind of Maybe get, and then he enters into the sanctuary of God. Everything changes, right? All of a sudden, he's in the presence of the one who sees the whole puzzle. All the pieces, how they fit together. And maybe he doesn't actually even understand how that all works, but he's with one he can trust to know all those things fit together. And that's what we hear as we go on in 73. Surely you place them in verse 18. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. That's a real big shift from how we just say. They get, they're carefree and they amass wealth. They get whatever they want. And he enters into the sanctuary of God and he realizes, oh, this in injustice is taken care of. And in the end, God does take care of this evil. Surely you place them on slippery ground, you cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors? They're like a dream when, you, when one awakes. When you rise, O oh Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. They're like, I love this image, they're like a dream where everything's going well for them, right? And the dream, and then you wake up to reality, right? To how stuff's really rolling, and you see, oh, this actually doesn't bring life. These choices they're making actually only bring death in the end. And so, so it, it changes, right? You go, you actually changes my, my sensitivity, my love for them, because I think, oh, they don't realize they're choosing death in this. In verse 21, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast 
before you. And some, in some translation says, I was an animal before you. He's saying, oh, I was focused on my little puzzle piece that you've given me to see and unaware of all that you know and all that you control and all that you have your hands in. I was, gre- I was bitter. I was senseless. I was ignorant. I was acting like an animal, not like a human. And I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will take me into glory. Think of this perspective that's changed. God, you are with me and you're going to guide me into glory. Who have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Whom have I in heaven but you? The earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. His focus has changed from bad people doing bad things, getting good things, and, and envy. I wish I had those things. Should I even be a good, should I even do good things? Should I even follow you, God? Because it seems that it doesn't matter to everything changes to he's with God, with God's people and in God's word, and he's realizing How good are you, God? And actually, you give me great things, grand things. In fact, he says, whom have I in heaven but you? The earth is nothing I desire besides you. All of a sudden, he says, I don't even care. All I care about is you. I just want you. Walking into the sanctuary of God in his presence, being with God, changes that. Changes that focus. And then we end this psalm with a great little summary, right? Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell you, I will tell of all of your deeds. This psalm starts with, there's people who are getting whatever they want by doing wicked things. This isn't fair. This isn't right. I'm so troubled. This narrow focus, right, on this, on these people, and it changes to, I want to be near my God. He is my refuge. And not only now am I going to tell people this, right, this, this psalm started with, I want to tell everyone how terrible these people are and how wrong this is. To it changes to, I want to declare how good God is and all that he has done. Those things change when we enter into the sanctuary of God. And actually, his focus changes because he sees a he sees more of the puzzle and God shows him more of what it's all about. I love um, this week we um, I love this this quote. Um, it's from Ravi Zacharias who we actually lost this week. He um, this great teacher, apologist, meaning he would go and debate uh, the existence of God and 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 how real Jesus was and how important understanding scripture was and uh, I think many 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 people have been uh, influenced by him. he I know I was very influenced as a young believer. I would listen to these talks and I think, oh my, I mean, blow my mind. Not only that, he was very smart, but he was such a gentle, he's such a shepherd, like a pastor to people. He cared. You could just watch a video of him and you felt cared for in the way he, he articulated these things. I encourage you to watch a, a, a lot of his stuff. It was sad to lose him this week. This is one of my favorite Robbie quotes. He says, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. And I think that is what's happening here. 
in Psalm 73. In our little puzzle piece, we think it's about being good or bad. We, be, we think the world functions in this dichotomy. Are these people good people or are they bad people? Now I get to decide and I get to post and decide and let everyone know they're good people, bad people. And, he's, and, and Ravi and I think right. And with the Gospels, we're going to see in a second say, it, it, that's not the point. The point is that he came to make people who were dead alive. And when we enter into the sanctuary of God, that's what happened. This verse pushes us forward, I think, to uh, Ephesians 2. And I think Ephesians 2 almost feels like a version of Psalm 73 that, that really, uh, if, if I was hanging out with Asaph, I'd say, hey, let's read Ephesians 2. I think that's going to help us. That's going to be a verse that's going to help us enter into the sanctuary of God together. And so I want to look at um, some, some pieces of Ephesians 2 here as we remember from where we stand on this side of the cross, Jesus coming after Asaph wrote this. Him dying on a cross and raising from the dead, defeating death and sin. We get to see how that really plays out and how, how we get to enter into the sanctuary of God. So here's Ephesians 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's not working, those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them in one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and its thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Wrath being God's punishment, death for our disobedience, our transgressions. Ephesians 2 reminds us that Psalm 73 is talking about us. We, do, it says it gratify the cravings of our flesh. That sounds pretty graphic. Um, we're doing what we want, right? We're following our hearts. We, we, we think of something, we say, I should have that. I deserve that. And we follow just what our hearts and what our minds, what our bodies feel is right. We follow what the spirit of the air, this what, what Satan is encouraging us to do, all these things that just turn us from God and the way we were created to be, what where it's real life is, right? We're pursuing death. And in fact, in Ephesians 1, 2, 1, it says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. We were those people, all of us, who were dead. So we see that in, in, in Psalm 73. Asaph was talking about this. First, we need to realize we were the ones who were dead. All of us. So when we sit down to complain about those bad people doing those bad things, we need to stop. And when we enter in the sanctuary of God, we need to realize we too are those people. How quick we forget that we too are sinners in need of a savior. So verse four is this great turn in this story. We did deserve wrath, but because of his love for us, this is God's love for us. Even though we are sinners, even though we're enemies of his, this God who was rich in mercy, he made us alive from death to life with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it's by grace you have been saved. It's not because I was really good. It's not because I was pure in heart. Because God loves me and is merciful, he's willing to send Christ to die on my behalf. To, to shield me, to become a refuge and block that, that wrath that was coming at me. And he took on the wrath so that I could have life. For his grace, in verse 8, for his grace you have been saved through faith. It is not from ourselves. It is a gift of God. Not by works so that you can boast. Not about you saying, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. 
Look how good I am. God saved me. It's just a gift that God's given us because we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see the order of that? We were dead, couldn't do anything. Jesus comes, picks us up, takes on the wrath, rescues us, and now God uses us to do good. So we actually do good because we became good through Jesus. Jesus made us good, and then we do good. Not we do good, and then God makes us good and gives us things. He gives us things, and then we get to be good. And I love the end of this. The end of this, it, it, it's like another writing of Psalm 73 at the end. Remember that at that time you were separated from Christ excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. Okay, that was a lot of big words. Citizenship, Israel, foreigners, covenants, promises. That sounds like a, like a wild spam email you would get. They just have that title. Foreigners, Israel, covenants, promises. What it's saying is remember when you were excluded from God's family, when you're outside of his family because you were choosing to just follow your heart and your desires. Remember that? Christ came and rescued us, but now in Christ Jesus, uh, we were once far away. That's what that's saying, right? We were once far away, but have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Jesus brings us near into the sanctuary of God, into the refuge of God. We've been brought near by the blood of Christ. So at the end of Psalm 73, but as for me, it is good for me to be near God. I have made the sovereign God my refuge. How does that work? That works by repenting, turning to God. That works by hearing the story, the gospel of Jesus, and turning to Jesus and saying, yes. I, I, he comes with this gift of life, and we say yes to it, and we're near God, and he's our refuge. We hide within Jesus, and he takes the wrath. And then what do we do? Then we get to tell everyone else that there's life. Death doesn't need to be the end. What great news is that? That when I'm sitting and, and frustrated with those around me, I can enter into the sanctuary of God and I can realize that there's life. And not just life, but it gives me, encourages me with the power and the strength, the boldness to turn around and even talk to those people and say, do you know that there's life? There's something grander than all that you've been given. Let me end with, with this. Just, just to, so that we don't miss this. Imagine if Scott had walked one block. If you had saw him at the end of his first street he'd walked. He'd walked just down his, his block, right? One block. At the end of that block, you ran into Scott and said, Hey, man, what's, um, what's Columbia Heights like? I know you, you've walked in it. And he'd say, Oh, man, yeah, I've walked... I've walked by some houses, probably eight houses. Man, there's like blue houses here and there's some green ones. There's like a kid who, who yells a lot. There's some kids who jump on trampolines in the one yard. Uh, those people are really nice. There's like a really nice garden. Um, and then there's like one house that has like a lot of cars. I don't know who, how many people live there. Oh, okay. That's how things work. That's how Columbia Heights works. And then they, they drop the, the census comes out and it says, here's what Columbia Heights is. House with a bunch of cars, you know, loud kid, you know, sweet garden. From one block, you'd say, that's silly. You can't, you can't decide from that perspective of one block. Well, what if Scott walks all of the streets of Columbia Heights, right? He walks 100 miles of streets in our city. And 
and you say, what about Columbia Heights? Well, he definitely gives you a broader perspective. Oh, there's these great people over here, these people here in our community. Man, there's people who just love, love, love our community and our people. And uh, I was so blessed by seeing these different houses and this different artwork and these gardens. And oh, that's really cool. I'm getting this broader picture, right? Wow. He, he knows a lot more about our city than I do just from walking those hundred miles of streets. I, I love Scott, but Scott doesn't know what's happening in each one of those houses, right? He doesn't know what's happening in each one of those families, in the hearts of those people in those homes. He doesn't know what's happened to those people in their history, what's happened to those families, families, those ancestors, what's going to happen to them in 100 years. He doesn't know what happened on that piece of land he was walking on 100 years ago. He doesn't know the, the, the feelings they're having, the struggles they're having. He doesn't know the celebrations happening in all those homes. I mean, I, I love Scott, but Scott's not God, right? That's, that's just our little city. God can see all of that and knows all that's going to happen. He knows what's going to happen tomorrow in each one of those homes and how he can attend to those people and care for those people. How silly it would be for us just to walk a block and then decide how everything works and then be troubled by that and to dwell in that instead of entering the sanctuary of the God who knows all of the streets and all of the homes and all of the yards and all of the world in all of time. And enter in the sanctuary with him and rest in him. Right? And to be near God and to make him our refuge. What good news is it that we have a God who is near and is our refuge? What great news. I have a few questions I want to ask us before we respond um, with communion. Uh, we're going to take some communion here together. Um, hopefully you grab some things. I might have forgot to mention that at the beginning, but I encourage you to gather some uh, bread and wine or something to take. Communion is an opportunity for us to remember remember this great news, to enter in the sanctuary of God. But first, just a few things to be thinking about this week and as you take communion, as we pray. First, do you know that you can be near God right now? And then what is an area of life that grabs your attention or causes frustration? What is that thing that that, that kind of puzzle piece, that thing that you tend to focus on, that troubles you, that overwhelms you, that you say, I don't know how to fix this. I don't know why this is. This doesn't make sense, God. What is that thing? It's good to confess that, to share that. It's also really good to enter into the sanctuary of God, right? How will you find ways to be near God then? Question three, and take shelter in him and not just sit in that, in that place. And lastly, who do you know who needs to know this truth? Who needs to know that God can see what's happening and that he's taking care of it? That's so, so important.